Welcome to Heartland Christian Center Sermon of the Week. You will be able to find more Heartland sermons at hcc.ag or Heartland Christian Center YouTube channel. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. We hope you enjoy this week's message by our lead pastor, Dr. Phil Willingham. Look around and somebody just sat down and said, I need forgiveness. Come on, tell them. Come on, now the rest of you, tell them, I need forgiveness. How many understand it's important in our lives for forgiveness, isn't it? Man, welcome, welcome. So glad you are joining us. We want to welcome all of our campuses, North Judson, Watertown, Keyburn, Full Throttle, Biker Campus, everybody watching online. Down in Florida, man, we met some people. Hey, we watch you online every weekend. Come on, would you give all of our online campuses a good hand clap today? I want you to take your Bibles and open to Luke or Psalms 19 is where we're going. And we're in a series all this month just talking about relationship status. How many understands that relationships are hard? Come on, anybody, anybody admit that relationships can be difficult? Come on, is anybody going to tell the truth in this house today? How many understand that sometimes there are some hidden motives behind the love that people express to us? Listen, listen to this letter. It said, Dearest Jimmy, no words could ever express the great unhappiness I felt since breaking up with you and breaking our engagement. Please. Please say you'll take me back. No one could ever take your place in my heart, so please, please forgive me. I love you, I love you, I love you. Yours forever, Marie. And then she says, P.S., congratulations on winning the state lottery. (laughs) Little bit of a hidden motive behind that apology, right? Come on. Another young man was so determined to win the affection of this lady that She often even refused to talk to him, but he decided that he was going to win her heart through the mail. So he started writing her love letters every day. He wrote a love letter every day, six, seven times a week. She never responded. So he decided he's going to up the ante. He increased to the point that he wrote three love notes every 24 hours and mailed them. He wrote over 700 letters the lady ended up marrying the postman. So didn't quite go like he had planned, right? Come on. But we've been talking about difficulty. We've been talking about relationship status. And just, just for, just for the, uh, the sake of information, you know, Miss uh, Leslie helped Pastor Matt last week talk. And, uh, you know, she just did, did an incredible job. Somebody wanted to know if Mr. Ron was going to help me this week. Listen, I want to, just for the record, these two ladies preach all the time, okay? You just don't get to hear the sermons they preach to us. So they are preaching, believe me. But uh, Rhonda said, I'd rather just tell you what to say and you get up and say it. I said, yeah, but they get mad at me. She said, yeah, but it's good. So listen. Uh, she, she may help me out here at some point. But I want you to, I want you to, to look, look at Psalms 19 for a second. And I'm going to navigate some, some things here this morning. Most of us in this room understand that, that God designed us to live and to work in certain ways and certain parameters in all of our life. God, as Pastor Matt may mention last week, relationships was created by God. It's his design that we connect. He said it was not good for man to be alone. Now, Adam had all of the animals, but he didn't have anybody that he could relate to. So he created Eve. So God created relationships. He designed us for relationships. And most of us understand that when we live on God's terms of relationships, we prosper. We are blessed. The problem we have in our culture today is that so many people wants to avoid what God has to say about relationships. We often look at the Word of God as being old or out of fashion or it's not culturally relative. The psalmist David writes in Psalms 19, he says this in verse 7. He said, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. 
The statues of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Everybody say, I'm glad he covers me for that. Come on. Making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart, and then the commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Now listen, he talks about the law, the statutes, the precepts, the command. He said they're perfect, they're trustworthy, they're right, they're, they're radiant, they revive the soul, they make us wise, they, they give joy to the heart, they give light to the eyes. Listen, it, it's only when we abandon God's word and we start doing life our way that we end up in really Really bad trouble. And most of us in this room know that relationships can be destroyed in the matter of seconds or minutes. Relationships, something can happen that the relationship absolutely can just, can just die in the moment. And it's only when we do the seeds of God and, and we, with, with our life directions, we look at his laws, we, we look at his statutes, we look at his command, his precept, and we determine that we're going to do those things that we produce the kind of crop that produces life. I guarantee you if we had time to walk around the room with the microphone, most of us in this room could tell of a friend, could tell of a relative, could, could speak of our own personal testimony that when we live a life of self-indulgence, when we live a life of addiction, when we live a life of, a bru of abuse, it only produces death in our life and in our relationships. Is that true? Come on. It's when we do those things, when we live according to ourself, when we live according to what culture is telling us to do, it only produces death. But when we follow God's life rules, it produces life. Look at Romans 6. I want to build some, some scriptures here because it's important. Romans 6, 21. He said, what benefit did you reap at the time when... From, from the things you, you are now ashamed of. He said, those things result in death. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. The benefit you reap to holiness and the result is eternal life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of life or the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Now watch it. Paul said, listen, do you understand that there are times the benefit, what we reap from those things that many of us, listen, anybody in this room got something in your past you was ashamed of? Anybody in this room ever, ever did something, said something, behaved in such a way in a relationship that caused hurt and harm to somebody else that you now look back and you said, oh man, I'm so ashamed of that. Listen, we all have at some point, whether we want to admit it or acknowledge it. But listen, Paul said, listen, but now you've been set free from sin. You've been set free, and you become slaves to God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. There's one more verse that, that Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 12. He said, live such good lives among the pagans, among the lost, among the world, among the Gentiles, that even though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now listen, here's the challenge that we have in our culture today. How do we, how do we have a relationship status that... that, that uh, uh, allows us for the world to look at our lives and say, listen, you're, you're patterning yourself after the laws, after the precepts, after the concepts of God. You're, you're, you're following those things that produce life rather than producing death. And the struggle is today that so many times we have a culture today that takes the word of God and they say, but, but yeah, but pastor, that, that's so old. That, that's old-fashioned. That, that's way back. No, 
the law of God, the precepts of God, the commands of God are still good and life to us. Come on. Can I get a witness to that? Here, here, here's what I wrote down. Listen. The sad thing is that convenience often affects our choices and comfort influences our decisions. Now what's this? When it comes to relationships, it's so many times we do what is convenient, we do what is easy at the moment, those conveniences, that easiness often affects our choices in that moment, and the comfort that we want for the moment influences our decision for the future. How many times do you know people who make decisions that, that is good for today, but if they, if they live that, that decision out, if that choice is lived out, that seed is sown and it's lived out, all it does is bring death and harm and destruction in their life. You, you ever see that? People today who, who, who they, 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 they pay for pleasure today only to have misery three or four days down the road. In one of the meetings that we was in, I, I was speaking to a guy. This guy's a multimillionaire, and he was, he was sharing about his business. But, and then, you know, I, I always kind of look beyond just the success. Where's the significance at? And to come to find out he has nobody really in his life to share that success with. There's nobody. There's been so many bridges burned. There's been so many broken promises and broken hearts that, that people have kind of walked away from him or he's walked away from them. That here he is now, got all this success, but he lives with no real significance about that. Listen, living life on God's terms that, that allows us to say, you know what? I want to follow the word of God. It, it puts us in a life filled with, with joy and peace, and the evidence is the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through us. So listen, here, here's, here's my question we're going to navigate through. What if, what if when it comes to your relationship status this year, what if, what if we decided, what if we decided this year that we're going to make some very, I think, simple yet profound changes that causes our lives totally be transformed? What if we decided, you know what, my relationship status this year, I, I know God is shifting me. I know God is changing me. I know he's leading me to transformation. What if this year you and I decided to make some very simple yet profound changes in our life that ultimately could change your relationships around you? Now, now here's, the, here's the pushback that I always get. Well, you know, Pastor Bill, that's just the way I am. Have you ever heard people say that? Well, you know, I've just always been this way. Yeah, I just grew up like this. You know, everybody in my family, they, that, that's how they respond, uh, you know, to, to broken promise. That, that's what they do. Now, listen, when somebody tells me that, and if, if they're talking about their eye color or their height or their skin color, then, then I realize you can't change that, Okay. If you're short, you can't, you're not going to get tall. If, if you're tall, you're not going to shrink. You know, there, there's certain things about us that we can't change. But listen, do you understand when you're talking about any other attitude or any other behavior in life, you and I have the power that we have from Jesus Christ. We have the power of the Christ, his Holy Spirit in our life inside of us that we can change those things. In their relationships today that are needing somebody that's going to step up and say, listen, I'm going to start living my life according to what does God's word, precept, command say to me. Just like our relationship with God depends upon what Jesus did on the cross. Listen, our journey with God, our movement with God in the spiritual process depends upon how much will we allow the Holy Spirit to control our life. You understand, we can't do it by ourselves. Relationships are difficult in our culture today. And we have broken people that's trying to love broken people. And we have broken people getting engaged to broken people. And broken people marrying broken people. And we have broken people that comes to church and we worship with other broken people. And we wonder why is relationships so difficult? Because we're all broke. Now, some of us are a little bit, have we checked in the hospital a little bit sooner than other people? So God started repairing us, right? Come on. 
We've been in the healing room. God's healing our brokenness. How many's glad for that? Come on. You're glad God, listen, I look at some of you, there's powerful testimonies in this church right here in all of our campuses where people checked in Heartland's hospital room five years ago, two years ago, one year ago, and listen, they allowed the Holy Spirit to start doing surgery and healing started happening in their lives. But it never gets finished. Hello? It never gets finished. And listen, we, we can't depend upon ourselves. We have to depend upon the Holy Spirit. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2 and 11. He says this. He said, no one, everybody say no one, can know what anyone else thinks except the person alone. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. He, he's, he's giving the parameter that we live in this world with, with limitations. We can't know what somebody else thinks. We, we often project it. Come on. We, that's the reason relationships get into trouble. Why? We, we try to project what we've interpreted, what we think they feel or think about. He said, nobody. He said, and God ha- but, but God has actually given us his spirit, not the world's spirit, so that we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. You understand that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, when we surrender our life to Christ, He gives us the Holy Spirit. We have His Spirit living in us, not the Spirit of the world. And when you and I begin to truly believe and act and behave as if God truly lives in us, listen, then He helps us say, wait a minute. Wait, well, hold the phone. Those things that I think are impossible in my relationship, those things that I think are totally difficult for me, they are possible with God. That's how people move forward from brokenness. That's how hurt can happen, and yet God can mend that hurt and that broken heart. That's how people are enabled to engage in tremendous disappointment in life. And yet when God's spirit begins to control their life, they walk out of that hospital room. They walk out of that labor room. They walk out of the divorce court, whatever. And they say, God, I don't know what I'm going to do now, but I'm trusting you. I'm believing you, God. I know that your power is going to navigate me through this circumstance. Come on, somebody, give the Lord a praise if you believe that. Students, listen, look what Paul said in Romans 8 and 9. But we are not controlled by your sinful nature. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. I am not controlled by my sinful nature. I am controlled by the Spirit. If you have the Spirit of God living in you. I love that. Pastor Phil, this is 2024. Things are happening. People doing this. They're doing. Listen, I'm not controlled by the flesh. I'm controlled by the Spirit. What if we said this year, what if we said this year that we decided, listen, no longer will flesh control me, but now Spirit's going to control me. No longer am I going to respond to the brokenness of this world or to the brokenness of promises or unmet expectations for my wife, my kids, my co-workers, whatever. What if we said, no longer will I be controlled by the flesh. Holy Spirit, I submit, I surrender. You control my life. You think our relationships would change? What if we decided this year, by the power of the Holy Spirit, my bad attitude, my habits that have hurt me and hurt others, they can absolutely change. My thoughts can change. My words can change. I don't have to live with guilt. I don't have to live with fear. I don't have to live with doubt. What if we decided this year, God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I can forgive everybody. For everything. You understand right now, we, we have a relationship crisis in our culture. People do not know how to move on. 
We don't. We don't know how to move on. We carry. We guinea sack stuff. And we hold on to it. Listen, we have a tendency to hold on to unforgiveness and bitterness way too much and resentment in our life. I told somebody the other day and had a conversation. They was talking about this and that and they've been having sickness and that. And I said, listen, I'm going to be honest with you. This is what I think the Holy Spirit's telling me to tell you. It's not what you're eating that's killing you. It's what's eating you that's destroying you. Oh, drop the mic right there. He about spilt his coffee all over himself. Now, listen, I'm not against eating right and, and being healthy. Listen, I'm not, that's not what I'm talking about. Listen, we, we was just down and our host, you know, they took us to nice restaurants and we, we, we eat nice food. It's just too small and too this. And I said, as long as you can top it and end it with dessert, I'm good, you know? I learned, I learned years ago two things. You give me enough ketchup and you follow it up with dessert, I'll eat anything. I get it down, baby. <laughs> but I'm telling you right now, in our culture, it's not what we're eating that's killing us. It's what's eating us. We, we must have the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. A study was done by one of the leading universities. They asked volunteers. They ask students to volunteer. And here's what they ask. We want you to remember or we want you to deliberately recall some bad experience, some wrong that you have encountered in your life. I want you to recall and remember, bring that experience back to the forefront of your brain. They had them all wired up. And as they watched these volunteers, remember their blood pressure started shooting up. Their heart rate increased. Their muscle, muscle tension began to show higher. Stress levels began to go off the charts. All because they started thinking about something that had occurred that brought hurt and harm in their life. They started remembering. Listen, there's not a single person on earth who doesn't suffer at some time from the, from the, from the idea of being hurt. And it's natural to feel bad and to feel like that, that, that our only recourse is to call up and, and, and to fight back. But listen, what, what makes us stable in those situations is the ability to be able to let things go and to forgive. One writer said it like this, the stupid neither forgive nor forget. The naive just forgets. The wise know how to forgive and know how to forget. How many stupid people do you know? <laughs> Don't look at the person on your right or your left because you might embarrass them. But seriously, how many people do you know they neither forgive nor forget? How many naive people do we know in our life that they are just naive enough to somehow or another forget without really forgiving? It's wisdom when you and I forgive and we're able to forget. Now, here's an interesting story. It's a true story. Back in 1930, the Chicago Examiner reported a story about a guy named Harry Evans. The article read, Man spites his wife by staying blindfolded in bed for seven years. Now, this is this guy named Harry who went to bed and stayed in bed seven years blindfolded because he was upset at his wife. True story. The story went on to say Harry was a good husband. He felt he worked hard. He worked around the house. He worked around the yard. He took out the trash. But all she could do talking about his wife, was she kept complaining that he never did it right. So he said, enough is enough. He said, how I feel about it, I'm going to go to bed, and I'm going to stay in bed. I'm going to put a blindfold on my eyes, and I'm going to stay here. Listen, it took him seven years for the bed to get him. I can't sleep to 6 o'clock. It feels like rocks in my bed if I stay in at 6 this dude stayed there for seven years blindfolded? Let me ask you the question. Who really lost in this deal? You think his wife suffered? 
Or you think he's something. So here's my question. If it took Harry seven years to get over his dissatisfaction with his wife's not appreciating him, how long is it going to take you? When are you going to decide enough is enough? When are you going to decide, wait a minute, I'm the one in prison here. No light, no friends, nothing good happening in his life for seven years. He emotionally tormented himself. He lived in bitterness. All because he didn't let it go. He didn't let it go. Look at your neighbor and say, it's time to let it go. Come on, tell it's time to let it go. Want to talk North Justin Hebrew? Come on, find you somebody and say, it's time to let it go. Now listen, what I've discovered, can, can I just be honest with you, the next part of this message, Miss Rhonda was going to help me, and she chickened out, but that's fine. I'm going I'm to give her credit for everything I'm about to say going forward from here. See, you, you, know what, you know what I've discovered in my life personally, that when I hold on to things, when, when, I, when I don't forgive and let things go, you know what happens? Listen, number one, my fellowship with the Heavenly Father gets totally blocked. The Holy Spirit in me gets grieved. My prayers get hindered. The devil gets a foothold through bitterness that's happening. The devil. Paul said, don't give a place for the devil. He said, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't, don't, don't allow Satan in your room. When, when you hold on to stuff, when I hold on to stuff, listen, I don't care if it's for 24 hours, you've given Satan a place, a foothold. But ultimately, we lose the blessing of God in our life. Now, I don't know about you. Roger and I have been married 50 years this year in June 21st. We're doing 50 things for 50 years, okay? We're not doing one. I'm not taking a sabbatical for, you know, 50 years or 50 days or 21 weeks, whatever. We're doing stuff. We started in January. Some of it's been small. Some of it's been, her, her love language is time. That I know that's her love language. It's not money. It's not time. Even though I've, I've spent some money on her, I've been saving. I've been saving. 50 years, man, you got to save. I started thinking about this two years ago. I said, man, we built our house, and, you know, we didn't, we didn't get to finish the fireplace. So I said, you know, I started budgeting for that and other things I started saving for. And, and we're doing 50 things for 50 years. But we, we've been setting down, and we've just been having conversations with each other. And saying, okay, how did we get here knowing where we come from? Knowing her background, my background, you know, some of our story. Listen, people often tell me, the pastor, I'm, I'm, so, I'm so surprised sometimes what you say from the pulpit. You would be more surprised of what I don't say, okay? I'm just telling you. Just to give you a heads up, I do keep some stuff, okay? I do have an inner voice that stays inside. But listen, we, we decided years ago, we decided one of the, and listen, it wasn't because we were smart, we was intelligent, we were so spiritual, but we decided years ago that one of the key things in our lives, in ministry and in life and family, is that we would be forgivers. We would stand ready to forgive. One writer put it like this. You, you are like beasts when you kill. You are like men when you judge. But you are like God when you forgive. So who do you want to be like? You want to be like a beast? Some people are. Some people just like an animal. You hurt me, bless God, you will pay for that. I'm writing you off. You're dead to me. Now, none of you are that way, but you've heard of that, right? You've seen the movie? Come on. You want to be like a beast of kids? You want to be like a man that just walks around in judgment? Because you can't see the own speck, the, 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 the own speck in your eye. You're all just looking around at the plank in everybody else's or, or the speck in everybody else's eye. You can't see the plank that's in your You want to be like somebody that just judges it. You ever see those people? They just walk around in holy judgment. Like, they're God. Oh, I tell you what, bless God. 
Look at their eyes. Look at their kids. Look, look at that marriage. Look at that. Just judge. You, you really are. You won't be like God. Come on. Not a hard question. Not a hard question. You won't be like God. Come on. You don't be like an animal. You don't be like a man that judges. Come on. No. Come on. You're in church. This is a safe place to say, I won't be like God. I want to be God. I want, I want to be able to navigate through life the way you've come. You designed me for relationships. But here's the problem. All the relationships God designed us for is with these broken people. As Pastor Matt said last week, when you need patience and you say, oh, God, give me patience, get ready. The impatient category is going to start lining up at your door. People that are absolutely going to get on your nerves. God, I just want more love for people. Just give me the eyes of Jesus. Guess who you're going to see? The knuckleheads. The irate people that just absolutely will just get on every religious nerve that you got. Why? Because that's God said, that's how I develop you. And God knows that forgiveness is something that everybody in this room needs. But it's also something that we have to constantly be good at passing on to. Amen? So Rhonda and I have been we're making a list. And this, this, this is four things today that we're going to share with you. I thought we was going to share, now I'm going to share. So, but that's good. She may, she may come up next week and finish it up. You see the anointing on her when she comes up and prays? I'm going to tell you. If she gets to preaching, you probably couldn't handle it. I'm just going to tell you right now. Uh, but we'll see. But listen, Rhonda and I got to say, hey, listen, 50 years. 50 years is some half, uh, what, half a century? Is that right? Or what is it? Is a century 100? Yeah. So we're half a century together. We're just two little kids that just raise each other up. 17, 19 years old, 25-foot travel trailer, traveling around the country, lived on... Uh, uh, lived on cheese and uh, pork and beans. I, I tell people, I still take my hat off to a can of pork and beans every time I see it. I salute pork and beans. I love pork and beans. They saved my life so many times. Cheese and crackers, listen, it's my comfort food. If I haven't eaten all day long, I don't need a steak. I don't need friends. All I need is some cheese and crackers, and I'm going to be good. I'll be a happy man. But here we are. We raised it. I said, listen, if we was to sit down, and we was to share with people, what would it be like? What were some things? And here's what we started. Number one, we discovered that we had to make it part of our life, part of our DNA, part of our belief system, that we understood that life isn't fair. Life isn't fair. Some of you say, oh, well, Pastor Phil, I know that. No, I'm constantly amazed of people who, who actually get upset because when things don't come out even. Things ought to be. You ever, you ever see little kids in a family, if there's more than one little kid, say, well, that's not fair. You love them more than you love me. You do. do you, ever, you ever see a little kid? Listen, I know grown-up people, they go through life. Well, God, that ain't fair. I can't believe that. Well, why is it you blessed them? What did you give them that? Listen, listen, I'm not aware of any Bible verse that teaches that life is going to be fair. Now, I know God is ultimately going to bring everything together. I know that. But there's nothing about anything happening here and now that guarantees life is going to be fair. It doesn't happen when you start coming to church. It doesn't happen when you, when you start following the ministry. Listen, I grew up in church. Rhonda grew up in church. She got baptized of the Holy Spirit when she was six years old. She'd know what it was to have the Holy Spirit come upon her life, speak in tongues, six years old. I grew up playing music in church. I grew up, and we started in the ministry when we were 16. And listen, as we got, listen, nothing about any of those spirits that said, oh, now you're following Jesus. Now you're giving your time and your talent and your temple to Jesus. Now life is going to be fair. No, it's not. And so many times we have, we have difficulty accepting that. And because we live with broken people and we work with broken people, we marry broken people, 
we have relationships with broken people, and somehow or another we want to think, hey, God, it's me down here. Life should start getting fair. It doesn't. The Psalm 73, I don't have, I didn't put it in your notes, but it's a psalm that Rhonda and I read early in our life. We, 1 Peter 5 and 8, or 1 Peter 5 and 7, casting all your care upon me because I care for you. That was a psalm that we that God gave, or a scripture that God gave us when sunshine was born. But as we started navigating life and ministry, listen, we were so naive. We thought, you know, we show up in revival. We love people. We sing our guts out. Listen, we preached 70 and 80 nights in a row. Sung every night. 30 minutes was the minimum. They said that we had to sing. We had to sing through. We sang when we, our voices sounded like Hermit the Frog was still singing. And we were doing that. We think, man, life ought to be fair. No, we ran out of gas. We didn't have food. We'd go to churches and they'd give us $20 for the entire week. It took us more than that to get in gas there. We didn't know how we was going to get to the next meeting. We kept thinking, wait a minute, God, where's your favor? Where's your blessing? Oh, we would show up. He would, he would, he would sneak stuff into us. But it wasn't like there's a smooth sail here. Does that make sense? There's some of you right now, I guarantee you, 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 you thought, man, if, if, I, if I put this stuff down, I start behaving like this, I, I start going to church, and I, I start giving to God, somehow or another, everything's going to be fixed in my life. It hasn't been. It isn't because you're not doing anything right. Keep doing what you're doing. But we live in this unfair world. Psalm 73, the psalmist, he, he picks up on this aspect. He said, it's for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping. I almost gone. He said, I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. You ever did that? You ever seen somebody that you know? Now, again, not trying to be a judge like man, but, but you know their lifestyle, their behavior, their attitude. You know that they're, they're, they're not Christ's followers, and yet you look at them and their life is prospering. Listen, I'm going to tell you the truth. I've only bought a lottery ticket once or twice in my entire life. I bought, listen, I went to those little scratch-out kind, and listen, I'd scratch off in zero, zero, and this knucklehead right beside me looked like he never knew what God even looked. He went $500. I wanted to, no, I didn't. What is this guy? He got my ticket. You ever looked at somebody's blessing and say, that's my blessing. That, that, should, that was for me. God, you missed it by one ticket. This dude was right behind me. Bought one right after me. Now listen, I don't do it all. Matter of fact, I'm telling you, I'm telling you gospel truth. I don't play the lottery. There has just been a time to... <laughs> that I thought the Holy Spirit said this was the day. <laughs> the Sunshine Center is not fully built yet, so you know this is not the day, okay? Just <laughs> Listen, Aspen said, I envied them. He said, I tried to understand why the wicked prosper, but it was just too difficult for me. And some of us have just got to sit back and say, God, why, why does this person get cancer and this person doesn't? Why, why, why does this marriage stay together 50 years and this marriage is broke up after 15 years? It isn't because we're special in God's eyes. Why, why, why is it that this family had, had three normal children and this family over here, two of their five children, all have disabilities? Life isn't fair. You know, does that make sense? And listen, if you and I are going to have strong relationships with God and with people, we have to navigate that. Should, 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 should we do whatever we can, whenever we can, to, to try to make things right? Absolutely. But sometimes making things right is totally out of our control. And until God redeems us from this place, uh, that this cursed world that we're living in, and He totally removes sin out of the plan, listen, life isn't going to be fair. We understood that. 
I had, I had ministers that started in ministry at about the same time as I did. They was a little older than me. They're not in ministry today. Some of them have already died. Some of them, some of them totally quit. Some of them are not even in church because they, they got into the idea, the fallacy that if I'm in church, everything's going to be great. It's not. We have a great church all over our campuses. We have some incredible people, but we have some knuckleheads too. And sometimes you encounter those knuckleheads. Those knuckleheads may be sitting beside you, so be very careful how you say amen. I'm, I'm just, but does, does that make sense? There's broken people in this place. And because we're broken, and some of us are, are yet yeah, God is healing us, God is repairing us, God is restoring us, but some of us in the midst of that, we always revert back, and we operate in the flesh rather than being led by the Spirit. Here's the second thing. What happens in us is more important than what happens to us. We begin to understand very early, hey, listen, we cannot control what happens out there. We can control what happens in here. And the last thing you and I can do is try to focus on rearranging somebody else's behavior towards us. Have you ever, have you ever tried to rearrange somebody's behavior towards you? Have you ever tried to somehow or another make yourself fit or make yourself more of this and less of that? Somehow or another to, to, for them to love you or accept you. You're trying to rearrange yourself, your behavior, somehow or another where their behavior towards you will somehow or another be different. You, you, you know how tiresome that is? Come on, you, you know how wore out you get when you're trying to somehow or another influence? Listen. That there, there are things that you and I cannot control that happens out there, but you and I can absolutely control what happens in us. Sometimes our best recourse, our only recourse, is to ask God, say, God, would you work on the inside? Listen, Joseph knew this truth. Everything that was done to Joseph, he, Joseph in the Old Testament, he could have died a bitter, unhappy man, but you know what? He didn't. You know why? He chose forgiveness. Write this down. Forgiveness is a response that I choose. Forgiveness has nothing to do with feeling. It's a response that we choose. God forgave this world. God loved this world. He said Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. It was a response that he chose. There was nothing. We wasn't lovable. But he said, I choose the response, I'm going to forgive you. Forgiveness is a response that I choose. Secondly, forgiveness is not just a journey. Forgiveness is a fight. You ever had to fight through for forgiveness? Come on. It's in the, oh, if it's a journey, oh, I just sat back, you know. I've given my life to Jesus and you know, I choose forgiveness. Oh, Pastor Phil, that's my choice. Yeah, get ready for the fight of your life if that's what you choose. True? Come on. Anybody here really had to fight to hold on to that because it's so easy for bitterness and, and unforgiveness and resentment and, and everything else to rise back up? You have to fight through the power of the Holy Spirit, not in the flesh, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, Joseph decided that he would consecrate all of his energies on being the best person that he could be wherever he was. And over the process of 23 years, Joseph decided that God's way was better than his way. Matter of fact, I put this in your notes. Joseph understood that God's greatest purposes are often attached to our greatest defeats. See all that for just a second. Keep that up there for a second. God's greatest purposes are often attached to our greatest defeats. I guarantee you, if you have a God mindset, if you have a Bible mindset, if you have a heart for God mindset, a Holy Spirit mindset, you can look back at some of your greatest defeats, and because you didn't give up, you didn't give in, you, you didn't surrender to bitterness and hate, and I'm thinking, you, you kept fighting that journey of forgiveness, you end up seeing that in the midst of your greatest defeat, you saw God's greatest purpose revealed. 
Wow. Never would I thought 47 years ago the, the greatest defeat of having a child born in our family that brought tremendous heartache and, and, and tremendous sorrow to us. Never would I thought 47 years ago that it would lead us to the point that now we see this is one of the most unreached people groups in the United States of America and around the world is families that have children with disabilities. I never would have thought, I never dreamed of that. But here we are 47 years later and we're seeing it unfold. There's an entire unreached people group of families out there. 95% don't go to church. They don't try to go to church. And now God is saying that, that greatest defeat, and it was, it was a defeat in our life. We, Rhonda and I felt totally like failures. Like we missed God, we wasn't doing right, and as young kids, we was doing all we know to do. But in the midst of that greatest defeat, here God has developed. Listen, it took Joseph 23 years of living with a choice of forgiveness rather than bitterness when his brothers would stand before him rather than having an opportunity that he had to take revenge and a snap of his fingers, he could have had them all killed. His verdict was, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for my good. When are you going to understand God is still fighting for you? God isn't going to allow this situation or that situation to destroy you. We, we have to refuse to bow to bitterness. We have to set a standard in our life. we got to draw a line of sand in our life. Beyond this point, not for comfort, not for security, not for, re for revenge or anything else. Listen, I refuse to allow this to control me. I choose to let the Spirit of God give me the power to forgive. Well, that's good preaching. Let me give you another verse that Paul writes in Ephesians 4 and 31. He said, get rid of all. Circle that word, all. Bitterness, rage, and anger, and brawling, and slander, along with every, circle the word every, form of malice. You understand there's no part of all, and there's no part of every that allows for any exception. Oh, well, I want you to get rid of some over here, or well, not all over, no. He said get rid of all. Everybody say all. Listen, God wants bitterness out of us. Again, what happens in us is more important than what happens to us. Here's the third thing we, we discovered in our lives that, that becomes so meaningful to us in this journey is the fact that God is watching to see what we do. Listen, there, there's more happening to us during an injustice than just the unpleasantness, unpleasantness of that moment. The Bible says that God is watching us. Now listen, just stop for a minute. Think about how different your life would be, how different your workplace, how different your family life, how different your community, how different would your life be if every day you live with the mindset, God is watching you. Not as a judge to say, I'm going to condemn you. Not, not as a father that's absent or abusive to say, I'm watching you, boy. I'm going. But God is watching and said, listen, you're my child. You have my Holy Spirit. I'm watching to see how you respond. I'm waiting to see if you're really letting the Holy Spirit. Look what Peter says again, 1 Peter 2, 19. For it is commendable. If a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. How different would your life be if you become more God conscious than you are people conscious? Well, bless God, you know, this has happened and my family expects me to do this. And my family expects, how, would, how would your life be for, if you said, I'm going to be more God conscious? He said, but how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it, but if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. 
You know what we heard at this conference with, with this nations of the world? I like what Pastor Matt said. Listen, despite what we sometimes think or feel in America, God's still winning. Listen, you know, you know what we heard from Iran and Iraq and China and some of, some of these pastors that come from there? I mean, there, there was a several hundred nations that was represented. You know what we heard about revival? You know what we heard about people coming to Christ? The, the kingdom is growing, it's expanding, it's being built. Relationships is important there. But you know what was important? These men and women are often seeing their own flesh and blood killed right before their eyes. And say, you deny Jesus or you're next. And they stand there. And they give honor and tribute to God. Why a dad or a mother or their own children right before them are slaughtered. And they say, my hope and my trust is in Jesus. People in America get ticked if the church is too cold or too hot. You follow me? How weak we are sometimes when we got brothers and sisters. Listen, the kingdom of God is much bigger than the United States of America. You got a church that we believe that with all these flags and these nations, and we have missionaries. Somehow or another, we have to allow the Holy Spirit to get a hold of our lives and say, listen, I got to stop nitpicking every little situation that I see going on in this broken world. Say, God, help me to live with the idea and the concept that you are watching me. We bear up under the pain of unjust suffering. In other words, when we suffer, let's make God proud of enduring the pain. And Lord, help me to handle it proper. When I first started traveling, I, I slept, some of you know, I slept under the gospel tent. That was my bed every night. I had a little feather mattress. I'd roll out on the platform. Our platform was 24 feet long and about uh, 16 feet wide. And I, we had sound equipment. We had organ. And, and sometimes we'd set up in cities that wasn't necessary. We'd set up in fairgrounds and in places where it wasn't the best of, of the city where we was. And we'd often, people would come in and that they'd, they'd try to rob us and, and they'd try to steal stuff. And my father-in-law, he wasn't my father-in-law at the time, but he allowed me to sleep with a shotgun. I had no shells to the shotgun. All I did was got beat up with my shotgun one time, trying to, you know, threaten them. And, uh, but, but there was times, in the midst of that, there was times that, that, that God would challenge me to say, you're not going to defend this, you're not, you know, you, you're just, I'm, I'm a, a 17, 18 year old kid. He said, you're not going to defend. He said, this, this time you're going to, you're going to stand up for your well-doing. You're in a city, you're preaching the gospel. You're here to help the families that are in need. You're here to help some of these guys, families that are coming to the tent revival. And often it was that we would find out it was family members, these kids that would show up and say, oh, they got this and that. We'll come back late at night. And you know, that little scrawny, little long haired guy playing the organ, he ain't going to stop us. You know, he ain't going to keep us from stealing nothing. But there was time God would challenge me and say, you're not going to fight. And what you're going to do is you're going to love these people and you're going to try to see why they're really doing what they do. In other words, you're going to have a conversation. And in the midst of that conversation, they would still punch me. <laughs> they would still hit me. I'm thinking, wait, wait a minute, Jesus, this ain't working. I mean, I'm thinking, you know, fall on your knees, repent, light shine down from heaven. You know, something like, no, none of that. They would still punch me. Do you know what God taught me during that? I know how to take a bunch, no one. <laughs> but God told me that, that, that what I was doing, even though it was holy and righteous and good, it's not always going to be appreciated. But how I respond to that, how, how I would get up the next day, I would stay. Listen, I kept doing that. I slept almost a year in the tent. I'd, I'd take my bass in rivers or creeks, whatever. I would walk. The, my the father-in-law wouldn't let me drive nowhere. I'd walk and take my bass. And, I, and God, what, what God taught me was that during that moment, during that time, that he was building character and tenacity in me. The reason why sometimes you think I'm like a bulldog, I won't let go of something. No, I have too much tenacity. I know what God is saying. I know what he's speaking 
And my only job is to just obey God. God, I'm going to step out and do what you say. Why? Because God's watching. One last thing. Come, Pastor Lizzie. One of the things that Rhonda and I have discovered in our lives has truly made a difference to be able to, to live in this forgiveness is to live with a redemptive view that accepts the full scope of human nature. So let, me, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me explain what do I mean by redemptive view. Living with redemptive, redemptive views is this. Here, here's the basic concept of it. People are people. God is God. People are fallible. God is the only one that is infallible. Living with a redemptive view is we don't get the two messed up. You realize how many problems happen in relationship because we want to believe the other person is infallible? We put the infallibility on that. Well, I can't believe they did that. Why? They're human. They, well, I can't believe they made that. I can't believe they're human beings. They're not God. Am I making sense to anybody? Listen, God is the only one that's fallible. And we get in trouble when we try to put the infallibility upon other human beings when they cannot. Listen, how do you stay married 30 years? How do you stay married 50 years? Listen, we live with this redemptive view. What I know over the last 50 years, listen, Rhonda has disappointed me a few times in 50 years. I've disappointed her a lot in 50 years. But she, we, we live with this redemptive view. We, we don't keep score. How would your relationship be different this year in your relationship status if you decided going forward? I'm not, telling, I'm not telling you set yourself up for abuse. I'm not telling you to be used by people. But I'm just saying, how would your relationship be different if you decided every day we get a fresh start? Every day we get a fresh start. I see so many people put expectation. Listen, parents, our children are going to mess up sometimes. Stop beating yourself because of their mess up. I've been there. It doesn't do me any good. I've had my own pity parties. You know who show up at my pity parties? Hopeless and helpless. <laughs> and it's a sad party. My kids are disappointing you. Pastor Matt has shared some, some of his experiences. You know, we, but, but, but we choose to live with a redemptive view in mind. Understanding that, that only God is infallible, not people. When we came up here 23 years ago, we left that in South Alabama. When, when I went to visit him that last time before we was actually making the move, listen, it's about four and a half, five hours. I cried all the way home. I was so disappointed in what I was seeing and what I was experiencing. But in the midst of that, Rod and I would come together and we say, listen, we know what we've done. We know the seeds that's been sown. We know the call of God. We're going to stand in the gap. We're not going to give up. God's going to work a miracle. And he did. But we had to go through that period of time where he's not infallible. He's going to make stupid mistakes. You, are, you, you know Sunshine's story. Some of you know some. We ain't even told the half of Matthew's story, and I won't even do that. But I want you to love him the next time he speaks. No, I'm just kidding. He's a great son. He's a mighty man of God. He, he's raising up three boys that make mistakes. They're fallible. They're not infallible. When Amber made her choice several years ago, there was a time where, listen, Rhonda and I had to leave town for one day when, when something was happening because she had made a choice. It was totally, we hadn't raised her like that. We, there was nothing about what we had deposited in her life. 
but we refuse to beat ourselves up for that. Some of you parents, listen, you've got stupid kids now and they're still being stupid. Stop beating yourself up for their stupidity. I'll receive an offering a little bit later for that. It's not you, okay? Now, if you've done something or didn't do something, then repent of that. But, but if you've repented of that, you've done your best, listen, you've got to move on. Why? Listen, write this down. Forgiveness changes our status from victim to victor. We have, listen, forgiveness moves us out of the victim status. Many believe that because of the victim, there will always be a victim status. But through the power of Christ, we decide to forgive. And we no longer are the victim, but we are now the victor in Jesus Christ. You believe that? Dr. Martin Luther King said this. He said, to our most bitter opponents, we shall match your power to inflict suffering with our capacity to endure suffering and forgive. Wow. Sometimes we have to do that. We endure the suffering. But we also say, you know what? I'm going to get on this road to forgiveness. I'm, I'm going to be one of those who forgives rather than holding on to stuff. Once upon a time, there's these two friends. They're walking through the desert. During some point they, of their trip, they have this argument one of the friends slaps the other friend right in the face. The one who got, gets slapped and was hurt without, without saying anything, he stooped down and he rode in the sand. Today, my best friend slapped me in the face. They kept walking. After a while, they found a water. They found an oasis, a place where they decided to get in and take a bath and take a swim. And in the midst of that, the person who had got slapped, he got stuck in some muck and some mire, and he started drowning. And the one who had slapped him earlier came over to him and and brought him up and, and kept him from drowning and recovered him. And when they get out to the, the land, the the guy who had been slapped, the guy who had got dr- almost drowned, he found a stone, and he wrote on that stone, today, my best friend saved my life. And the best friend asked him, said, after I hurt you, you wrote in the sand. Now, since I've saved you, you wrote a st- on a stone. He said, why? The friend said, listen, when someone hurts us, we should write it down in sand where winds of forgiveness can erase it away. But when someone does something good for us, we must engrave it in stone where no wind could ever erase it. I've learned to write my hurts in sand and to carve my benefits in stone. What about you? Will you do that? I guarantee every one of us in this room, there's something you could wrote in sand and you could write in stone about how you've been hurt, you've been lied to, you've been disappointed, whatever. But I challenge you today, will you decide, wait a minute, God. Forgiveness is worth the agony that I'm going to go through because it helps us heal the wounds. I want you to stand with me if you would. Father, thank you today. Wow. I love this church. I love what God is doing in this church and through this church. While we was on this trip, I was just praying. I thought, Lord, man, I just, I just wish we could ever get to a time where this world could settle in and there wouldn't be so much craziness happening. The Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, that will never happen in this world. Things are going to move the wrong way. We understand. But listen, God is in control. You understand that God is in control. The challenge that you and I have, will we let the Holy Spirit control us? Will we be driven by the flesh or will we be led by the Spirit? The flesh will drive you to bitterness, drive you to resentment, drive you to hold on. The Spirit will lead you to freedom. The Spirit will lead you to brand new, fresh life. Every day you get up and you say, you know what? I'm going to start all over again. Why? Life isn't fair. I understand that. It's not what happens to me. It's what happens in me. I understand what God is doing in this world. I understand He's watching 
but ultimately I live with this redemptive view. Everybody I connect with are just like me. They're fallible people. They're subject to let us down. Our expectations often don't get met. That's okay. We're going to still love each other. You understand that? Some of you with your kids, some of you with your spouses, your whole life would change. If every day you decided, you know what, we start all over again. Yesterday, you simply got on my last nerve. You ever had your parents say, you're on my last nerve, buddy? Well, guess what? I wake up this morning, God just redid my whole nervous system. You got a fresh start. Come on. You get, we do that every day. God said, his mercies are new every morning. Some of you got on God's last nerve yesterday, last night, some of you. Absolutely, God said, I listen. But today, guess what God said? There's a fresh start for you. Thank you for listening to Heartland Christian Center Sermon of the Week. If you would like to partner with us and give, please go to hcc.ag and click to give tab. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. Also, if you have a prayer request or want to contact Heartland, please email us at pastorphil at hcc3d.com. Have a blessed week.